All right, it's time for us to get started tonight, if we can, please. So glad to see everybody here. It seems everybody's happy and smiling and visiting. That's always wonderful. It's encouraging to get together like we do on Wednesday evenings and study God's Word and fellowship. And we're honored that you're here tonight. We especially uh, want to welcome those who are visiting with us tonight. Uh, thank you for coming. Hope you'll come back and be with us on Sunday morning for our worship at 930 and our Bible classes on Sunday evening at 5. I hope you picked up a bulletin on your way in. It's got an update of all those that are sick. I do want to mention uh, Brother Ben Roberts. Joanne called today and uh, he went to the doctor. His heart is not beating like it should and uh, she just requested that we uh, pray for him. And uh, I want to ask, uh, I think Toy Farr is leading our prayer tonight, if you'll mention Ben Roberts in that particular prayer. Uh, we want to express our deepest sympathy to the family of Beatrice Barron. Uh, she passed away yesterday at the age of 100. The funeral for her is going to be at Macmillan on Friday at 1 o'clock. Uh, visitation will begin at 11. And so we, we will be celebrating her life at that time. All third graders are invited to a tacky Christmas sweater party uh, this coming Saturday morning, December the 9th, from 10.30 to 12 at the Huddleston home. Uh, all more details are in the bulletin. Also, the Christmas party for the K through 6th graders will be this Sunday, December the 10th, in the TAC, following the morning service until 1.30. Also, you can see the bulletin for more details. The Youth Progressive Dinner is coming up on Sunday evening, December the 17th. Uh, you'll get more information about that later. And the annual Fruit Basket Day will be Wednesday, December the 20th at 1 o'clock in the Annex. And also look at the bulletin for more details. Everyone's invited to the holiday open house at the Forest Home uh, at 19 Kimberly Lane. Uh, that'll be this coming Sunday, December the 10th from 2 until 4. I understand we're having ribeye steak and prime rib. Isn't that right? And some other things like that. So. And lobster too so anyhow so y'all remember that this coming sunday afternoon over at the forest 19 kimberly lane the golden circle luncheon is going to be this tuesday at 11:30 in the annex also the freed hardeman associates christmas party will be at the home of jim and janita estes this coming saturday december the 9th at 2 30. i love to make this announcement tonight we want to congratulate kevin and lauren brumley on the official adoption of James Grantham Brumley. It became official this morning. And uh, of course, James has been with the Brumleys for uh, all his life, except for the first two weeks. And now he is an official Brumley. He's welcomed home by his big sisters, Ella and Roy Clare. And of course, little brother Austin, uh, the proud grandparents are Larry Lauderdale and Debbie and Hubert Kitchens. So congratulate, uh, the Brumleys, and I can assure you they'll need your prayers. Uh, I asked them if this was going to be it today, and I don't know, they kind of looked at me weird, but you know. Uh, but let's just remember them and encourage them in any way that we can. The focus group is going to be hosting a chili supper on Sunday evening, December the 31st in the Annex, New Year's Eve, following our Bible classes. This is for the entire congregation, and everyone is asked to bring chili, sides and desserts 
And then quickly let me mention the food pantry item this week is rice. And we will ha be having our food pantry on the 14th and the 21st uh, on Thursdays. And uh, this month, we or November, we helped over 235 families and we expect December probably to at least equal, if not exceed that. So we thank everybody for the help that you provide for that. And uh, please bring that pantry item if at all possible. For our devotional tonight, Brother Chris Langley is going to be leading our singing. Brother Toy Farr will lead our prayer. And Brother Tommy Barragona will present our devotional thoughts. Good evening. If you'll take your song books out, turn to number 606, have that marked for the song of invitation, 606. That's just as I am. And then before the lesson and at the end, we will use number 134. The Lord is my shepherd. We'll sing the first verse this time. The Lord's my shepherd. being here with us tonight uh, have a couple things before we get into our devotional thank you if you helped us with the cookies and hot chocolate Monday night we probably had the largest crowd that we've ever had on a uh, night before the Christmas parade we made 12 gallons of hot chocolate so we had a lot of folks came through that night and uh, if if some of you guys are ready to do a devotional, there's a list in the foyer. Please sign up. It goes all the way through the month of July, I believe. So uh, <clears throat> there's a lot of empty spaces. Tonight we'll be looking at a passage from the Apostle Paul from Ephesians chapter 6. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual host of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand the evil day, having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet, with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with prayer and supplication and spirit, being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and, and supplication for all the saints." 
If you would tonight imagine two medieval knights sitting on their shining white horses. They're looking at a castle that they are going to attack and they see high walls. And around the castle is a wide moat. And on top of that moat, there are archers waiting for somebody to get within range so that they could shoot at them. The first of these knights, he's sitting there with his helmet, metal helmet on him. His body is covered with armor. His arms and legs are covered with, with sheets of metal that have hinges in them so he can move around. He has on heavy boots and he has on a pair of gloves that, that's made of metal. Then you look at the second of these knights. He has on a baseball cap and a pair of sunglasses so that he can shield his eyes from the glare. He has on a t-shirt and a ragged pair of jeans and an old pair of sandals. Which one of these knights would you want to be? Which one do you think that you would want to be in your life? First knight looks at the second one. He raises his broad sword and he said, let's attack the castle on my signal. The second one says, whatever, let's go. And he raises his baseball bat. So, the first knight, he may be confined. He has all of this armor on. He can't move very, very much in any direction. The second night, he can move in any direction he wants to. He's not confined in any way because he doesn't have on any of those suits of armor. And as, a, as you look at this, which one is right? You would think the one that has on a suit of armor. He's the one that's protected He's the one that, even though he's restricted in his movement, he's still protected. Sometimes God's commands to us is like that suit of armor. Over in uh, Ephesians chapter 6, in verse 16, he says, He's able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one because we're protected. Let me give you a few examples of how we're protected. God's word, God's word tells us do not steal. And if we don't steal, we don't have to face the embarrassment when we get caught. We don't have to, to look at how people look at us and say he's a thief. If we, if we follow God's example and follow his command, don't lie. We don't have to make up lies to try to cover up for the ones that we've already made. And we can keep the trust of our family and our friends because they know what we say is the truth. We have a command that says that, that we are to forgive those that hurt us. And that command will protect us from being a resentful person. God's commands 
are designed to protect us, not to, not to keep us in a box. God wants to protect us. Over in the book of 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. How are we doing tonight on keeping God's commandments? If you're falling short, this is an ideal time to get right with God. If there's anything we can do for you tonight, would you come as we stand and sing? Would you bow with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank this day and the many blessings you've bestowed upon us. Father, we thank thee for each other here tonight and ones here worship in your name and for your son's name's sake. Father, be with the sick, the afflicted, the long-suffering. Father, let's always remember the time and the season we were in. Let's always remember the Bible verse said, just be slow, slow to laugh, slow to speak, and fast to listen. Father, as we leave here, let us do so with joyous hearts knowing this season and being with our loved ones this time of year. Father, and let us always remember that it was your son who crawled upon that cross. He didn't have to and died for each and every one in this building here tonight. Let's always take this example and live it out in everyday life. In Christ's holy name I do pray. Amen. As our teachers make their way to their classes, we'll flip back to number 134, and we'll sing the fifth verse. Goodness and mercy all my life shall surely
Anybody want to help me pass these out? Thank you. I need somebody take the middle section, somebody take this section. You getting them? Thank you very much. Kind of empties out in here, doesn't it? <laughs> It'd be nice, you know, if this section and this section were as full as this section, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be good? All right, before we get started tonight, I want us to have a prayer. We want to uh, think about all those that we know that are sick and those that have needs right now. So uh, as they continue to uh, pass these uh, papers around, I want us to uh, begin by going to God in prayer. Will you bow with me? Our Heavenly Father, thank you for the day. Thank you for this opportunity we have to assemble here tonight to worship you in spirit and in truth, to study your word. Father, we're mindful of so many that are sick. I think about Brother Ben Roberts specifically who requests our prayers as he continues to uh, deal with uh, various illnesses and also Sister Joanne as well. There's so many others, Father, that we know of that are sick, that are going through uh, trials regarding illnesses that they face. Please bless them, Father. Please also uh, be with those who grieve over the loss of loved ones, especially this time of the year. Father, thank you for this church. We're thankful for uh, the shining light it is in this community. Bless us in our Bible study tonight, Father. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Uh, you know, since it's Christmas time, you know, the holidays, I thought I might share with you the four stages of life. Just briefly, you might want to write these down. I don't know which one you might be in. The first stage is you believe in Santa Claus. Second stage is you don't believe in Santa Claus. The third stage is you are Santa Claus. And the fourth stage is you look like Santa Claus. So anyhow, thought you might enjoy that, whichever stage you're in. All right, we're continuing our study on making life meaningful. And uh, this particular lesson I think is very, very important because I think all of us can make application of this to our lives. We're talking about momentary reversals that we experience. And uh, certainly momentary reversals can be a benefit and should be a benefit to us from time to time if we want to live meaningful lives. You know, one of the most difficult tasks facing every Christian, I think has to do with the manner in which he deals with the reverses and the setbacks and the disappointments that come in life. You know, it's not too difficult, is it, to go around with a smile on your face, a song in your heart, a pleasant look, when everything is going your way, is it? I mean, it's easy to, to feel good about it and to smile and to be positive. 
But when things change and it seems like everything seems to be turning into a disaster, it becomes more and more of a problem to demonstrate the right kind of attitude. And this is not an uncommon problem at all, but instead it's one that threatens the peace and the joy and the happiness that every child of God wants to have. And it's deprived many sincere people of the peace that passeth all understanding. And you know, what is this peace that passeth all understanding? Well, this is the peace that only God can give. And it's so wonderful, this peace is. It's so amazing that there's no way that finite minds can really comprehend this peace that passeth all understanding. But we deprive ourselves of that when we don't have the proper perspective and attitude toward reversals. Now, there's certainly many ways in which momentary reversals, and we're going to talk about specifically some of these later on, but there's many ways in which momentary reversals can be faced in many ways that there are being faced in the lives of individuals. Some become depressed because they're not able to really handle their problems and reversals. Stress is a, a major factor in leading to depression. Depression is a major problem in our world today. A lot of people are, are, are dealing with depression in some form or another, and perhaps we all do from time to time. Stress has a way of taking its toll, and it kind of builds up like a water balloon, right, until it gets too full, and then what happens? It just blows up. Sometimes it takes just one little thing maybe to put a person over the edge. And depression is something that needs to be dealt with. You know, if I break my arm, I don't just hope it's going to heal on its own, do I? Right? If I've got a bad case of pneumonia or some other uh, bad virus or, or disease, I go to the doctor and get help. Same thing is true with mental illness. Mental illness should not be treated any differently from physical illness. There should never be any stigma attached to it. And it doesn't show a lack of faith in anybody's life to go to the doctor and be treated for something you may be dealing with mentally any more than going to the doctor if you've got a broke arm. And I think we need to understand that. And the thing about depression is if a person stays in that state long enough, it's going to be very difficult for that person to get out of that. It becomes something that is just so hard to, to deal with. But it can be treated. It's being treated effectively. But that's how some people handle uh, momentary reversals. You know, it leads to depression and stress. Stress is one of the leading causes of various diseases that we face mentally as well as physically. Others try to find someone or something else to blame other than themselves for their misfortune. You know, it's like in families sometimes, right? Dad blames mom and mom blames dad and 
You know, the kids blame them and they blame the kids. And what happens? Nothing ever gets solved because everybody's blaming each other, playing the blame game. A lot of times people are not willing to accept their own part in whatever problems they may be dealing with. And so some people deal with their problems in that way. They try to find, you know, someone else or something else for which to blame for their misfortune. And still others are heard to ask, and this happens more than we think, you know, why did God let this happen to me? You know, I try to do right. I try to do what I need to do to be faithful. How could God, if he's so loving and gracious, how could he let this happen to me? And therefore, people try to blame their reversals for their personal failure on God. And that's a problem. Now, we need to understand the source of evil, the source of problems in our world. It really goes down to the foundation of the fact that God created us free moral agents, right? We are able to make our own decisions. And sometimes somebody makes a bad decision that greatly impacts somebody else. Maybe uh, a, a drunk individual decides to get behind the wheel of a car and crashes and kills a family of four or five there. You know, we know about dictators in our world, the decisions that they make hurt multitudes of people as you know we know in many nations today the the public in those nations are starving to death while the elites live in luxury and so you know we're free moral agents and we we will suffer sometimes because of our own decisions or maybe the decisions of others and simply because of life itself life itself is full of trouble and we need to realize that. So we don't need to, to blame God for the reversals that we have. Others become so discouraged over the reversals they experience that they will allow this failure to prevent them from achieving the spiritual excellence for which they are responsible for individually. They will not, because they blame somebody else, because they are dealing with this failure, they won't grow spiritually as they should. They kind of get stuck in a rut uh, as a result of that reversal. And beyond this, we find still others who allow these problems to cause them to continually worry about their failures, always worrying about their shortcomings, their reversals. And the result is they become short-tempered and irritable in their relationships toward those about him. Now let's switch gears a little bit. There's some proper ways in which we can handle our problems. There's some proper ways in which we can handle our reversals. And I'm going to briefly mention some of these. If you want to comment, I've said before, feel free to do so. I think first of all, when we face these reversals, these disappointments of varying degrees, we can seek the help that God has promised through the avenue of prayer. What is prayer? Anybody got any idea? How would you define prayer? Talking to God. Okay. Prayer, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The Bible says it does much good. Prayer changes things. Prayer accomplishes things. 
You know, if we were to take a look at some of the great Bible characters all the way back through the Old Testament period even, they were individuals like Daniel and Joseph and others. They prayed to God often. You just think about how much Jesus, the Son of God, prayed. He prayed all night before, you know, he chose his apostles. He spent much time in private prayer with his heavenly Father. And so if he needed to pray and he's the Son of God, what does that say about me? I certainly need to pray. But prayer can get us through some very difficult times. And I've seen it work, and you have as well. When we talk to God and pray to God about these things and ask him for help and for strength, we know that God hears our prayers, and we need to use that avenue. I think also we need to realize, according to what the text of Romans 8 verse 28 says, all things work together for good to them who love the Lord, to them who are called according to his purpose. And I think this verse has a lot to say about reversals and disappointments in life. And I've said this before, that verse doesn't say everything is good, does it? But it says all things good and bad intertwined together in our lives ultimately will work out for good to them that love the Lord. We may not know how it's going to work out. We may not be able to see enough into the future to see how this possibly could turn into something positive. And so what do we do? We trust God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. You know, don't try to just figure it out on your own. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your steps. Also, I think we can understand that in God's plan for man, it is the eternal that takes precedence over the temporal or the material. And therefore, we need to view all things in reference to their eternal value. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible, as far as, you know, helping me to keep things in proper perspective, is 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 18. And there Paul said, you know, the things that are seen are temporary. And I always ask people, look, what do, you, what do you see? Think about what you see. I'm seeing a pew. I'm seeing some people here. I see my TV at home. I see my house, my car. You know, I see people. Every, I, you know, I, I, I can name a lot of things that I see. God's beauty, his creation here on this earth. But the Bible says everything that I see is what? Temporary. It means it won't last. I see the pain that I suffer. Somebody else is suffering. It's not going to last. You know, Paul in Romans chapter 8 and verse 18 says, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the joy that shall be given to us. And we know that, you know, even though we suffer in this life, and some people suffer tremendously, it just seems like some people just got a bad deal. I've seen people like that. They just can't seem to ever find stabilization in their lives. And, you know, we need to realize it's the things that are seen that are temporal. Things that are not seen are eternal. Now, it's easy for us to get our priorities out of whack, isn't it? Because we're focused on the senses, aren't we? We're focused on what we can see in the here and the now. What we need to focus on is those things that are not seen, those things that are eternal 
in nature. That's how we can over, overcome these uh, varying reversals. Also, I think we can stop feeling sorry for ourselves just because things don't work out like we want them to. Sometimes we just like to have a pity party, don't we? Right? You know, things don't work out like we want them to do. We just feel sorry for ourselves. You know, gloom, despair, and agony on me, right? As the old song says. Uh, what is it? Deep, dark, despair? What, how's the rest of it go? Gloom, and gloom, despair, and agony on me? I forgot the rest of it. Y'all remember watching Hee Haw, though, right? Uh, some people live with that kind of mentality, you know. Uh, everything is gloom and doom. So these are some ways that people sometimes uh, cope with their problems. And this is some of the things that we need to think about. We need to stop feeling sorry for ourselves and, and try to, to get up and pull ourselves up and, and do better. Now, there's an incident in the life of Jesus that I want us to note in our study tonight. Uh, we want to make the analogy between a struggle that is depicted uh, in this recorded instant, instance and the recording and the struggles that we engage in in our lives. I want to compare the struggles that's described here with our struggles today. And uh, I believe if we consider this particular analogy, it'll help us to understand the benefits that are available to us even in our failures and our reversals. I want you to turn to Mark chapter 6, verses 47 and 48. I think I have reference to that here. I'm sorry we don't have any more detail, but this will at least give you the verse. Uh, in Mark chapter 6, 47 and 48, and by the way, I think it would be worth your reading tonight or sometime this week just to read Mark 6, 33 through 56. We're not going to have time to read that tonight, but read that sometime. But let's look at Mark 6, beginning in verse 47. And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and Jesus was alone on the land. And he saw them toiling in rowing, for the wind was contrary to them. Now, you may recognize this as being a part of the text that tells about Jesus walking on the waters of the sea to approach the disciples who were in the boat. Like I say, the entire story is worth your reading. Now, Jesus had just performed a wonderful miracle of feeding 5,000 men with five loaves and two fish. And Jesus sent the disciples away by boat while he withdrew himself from the multitude in order that he might pray. Uh, verse 46, here we find Jesus praying. He has sought times to pray. Well, there are a number of factors here in this particular incident that I believe are timely for our considerations as we deal with, you know, momentary reversals in this life and how that can help us to live a meaningful life. Uh, first of all, I want us to understand that God gave the winds that were blowing contrary to the disciples as they were rowing. And the winds there represented a great blessing to those who sought to use that as a source of power for sailing over the seas. You know, wind can be a great help uh, if you're sailing. Sometimes, though, the winds were for them. Sometimes the winds were against the sailors. 
And so we need to realize that God gives us the winds, and uh, the winds are not necessarily good or bad in and of themselves. And, you know, the same thing is true in our own lives. Everything we receive comes from God, doesn't it? James 1 verse 17 tells us. Uh, even those things that uh, create pain and sorrow, maybe for the moment, are designed by the Father to help us in our eternal well-being. God doesn't send evil, but God will allow the things that we deal with in this life uh, to cause us to become stronger. Remember what James said? He said, count it all joy when you fall into manifold trials. I look at that verse and say, huh? Count it all joy when you have reversals and problems and setbacks? Yep. Knowing this, the trying of your faith worketh patience. I don't think we count it a joy that we're having problems, but I think we can count it a joy that we can allow these problems to serve as stepping stones toward our spiritual maturity. I think we can rejoice in the fact that we don't have to let all these things that we encounter get the best of us. In other words, they can benefit us and allow us to have more meaningful lives. Now, when the disciples encountered the winds against them, it made it necessary for them to toil that much harder in their rowing. I know when I was growing up in Florence, we used to fish below Wilson Dam, and there's a very hefty current there. And, uh, you know, we would get our chicken livers, you know, put the pantyhose around the chicken liver and the hook so the, 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 the chicken liver wouldn't come off, and we'd get right next to that dam and float down. Sometimes you kind of, you know, we're out of control, and whenever you tried to get back up a little bit further or to the side or the left, it was difficult, even with a motorboat, right, because of the current. And so these disciples encountered a current, winds that were against them, and it made them necessary for them to toil all the more. Toiling represented a great effort to the disciples. And it's through this effort that we put forth in our toiling that we become stronger spiritually. Uh, it's through that effort that we grow spiritually and mature spiritually. You know, if life was easy and didn't require toiling and struggling, we would just simply be weaklings, wouldn't we, spiritually? We'd be totally helpless if we never had to deal with difficulties. Also notice that there was no escape here for the disciples from the opposing winds simply because of their relationship to Jesus. These folks were the, in the inner circle of Jesus. They were his friends. They were co-workers. They knew Jesus better than just about anybody. But just because they were the Lord's disciples didn't mean that things were going to be easier because of that. And we need to understand that because and regardless of our relationship uh, to God, there's going to be those opposing forces that's going to cause reversals in our lives. Being a Christian doesn't exempt us from problems in this life. You know, we need to be aware of these individuals. I call them religious scam artists that 
tell people, you know, you come to the Lord and everything's going to be good. You know, you're going to be wealthy. Everything in your life, your, your problems, your physical problems are going to go away. It's a wealth and health type of gospel. It's a lie. Jesus never promised that. Jesus never taught that. And we as Christians don't need to fall into that trap. And so regardless of the relationship of people to God, there's going to be these opposing winds that we have. For example, think about Joseph. Uh, Joseph was probably one of the finest moral upstanding individuals in all the Bible. We read about, you know, some of his difficulties in Genesis 37 through 41. First of all, as a young man, you know, he was despised at home. His own brothers hated him. They envied him. The Bible says they couldn't even speak to him kindly. You know, they hated their brother. They would have killed him when he came to check on him if it wasn't for their elder brother Reuben, right? And they threw him in a pit, and in their minds, they killed him when they sold him into slavery down in Egypt. They thought they had really killed their brother in that way. And uh, you think about a young man like that, away from home. When's mom and dad going to, you know, when's dad going to come and get me? When's my family going to come and get me? They're not. They think he's dead. You know, Joseph could have done like, you know, we talked about earlier, become depressed. You know, he could have blamed God and you know, blamed everybody else for what happened to him. But Joseph was faithful and he stood strong, didn't he? And uh, through the course of even several setbacks while he was in Egypt, like in Potiphar's house, and, you know, when he interpreted the dreams and was forgotten, through all those even setbacks that seemed so unfair, he kept strong his faith in God. And uh, God ultimately, through his providence, uh, allowed Joseph to become second in line only to Pharaoh. You know, he told his brothers, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. So, you know, think about Joseph there. He also considered the example of Paul. You know, Paul was an individual that experienced great persecution. Uh, we're not going to go into the whole thing, but 2 Corinthians 11, beginning in verse 24 of the Jews, five times... I received 40 stripes, save one. Can you imagine being beaten one time like that? But five times he endured the 40 stripes, save one. Three times I was beaten with rods. I can't imagine that, you know. Once was I shipwrecked. A day and a night I have been in the deep. And then he talks about all the various perils that he dealt with and perils of the heathen in perils of my own countrymen and all kinds of difficulties that he faced. And then he went on to say, besides all those, these things that are without, there comes upon me daily the care of all the churches. Now, it just seems like Paul dealt with one setback after another, didn't he? It was a continual process for him to be persecuted. And yet we need to understand, you know, just because he was a Christian didn't exempt him from that. And so the greatest danger lies in the attitudes that we develop toward those opposing forces we experience. You know, you've heard the expression, uh, if fate deals you uh, lemon, you know, try to turn it into lemonade. And so these opposing winds uh, that Christians face from time to time, you know, it doesn't lessen just because they're Christians. Now, let me mention this lesson. The opposing winds experienced by the disciples of Jesus caused them to look to God for help and strength. 
You know, we can look at many examples in the Bible of where this occurred. The book of Judges is a series of, of situations where, you know, the people become unfaithful to God. God sends an oppressor. The people cry out to God for help because of their oppression. And what? He sends a judge. Everything is good. And the process starts all over again, right? But when people go through difficult times, oftentimes they will turn to God. Opposing forces in our lives will draw us closer to God. It will help us to develop a stronger faith in God and a stronger uh, confidence in what God can do if we will allow it. Now, remember the example of Job. Uh, Job is a great example of dealing with adversity. And I think what he dealt with might be called more than just reversals. First of all, think about his losses in Job 1 verse 14. Lost his physical possessions, but he lost his family. His children were killed. I don't know how you feel about that. That would devastate me, you know. Not only that, look at his attitude toward his losses. In Job chapter 1 and verse 20, he said, The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I don't know if I'd ever gotten to that point or not. I just don't know if I would or not. I think I would, but that's going to be tough. And then you think about his greatness. Ultimately, you know, as Job said, though God slay me, yet will I trust him. We find that his greatness was restored manyfold. You know, he had more children and more possessions and so forth. All right, let's move on to the next point. Uh, there are many times that we face opposing and distressing forces in our lives. I want to look at some of these different things that cause us reversals. Maybe you can relate to some of these. There may be others that you want to share. First of all, it may come through the betrayal of some supposed friend or friends. It may be that someone you love and think the world of turns their back on you. You think about Jesus who was betrayed into the hands of his enemies by that kiss of betrayal and 30 pieces of silver by one of his own disciples, Judas, one in the inner circle. I wonder how Jesus felt about that. I wonder how Jesus felt about Peter when he told Peter, you know, before the cock crow three times, you're going to deny me three times before the cock crow. Peter said, there's no way I'll do that, Lord. I may die with you, but I'll never deny you. You can count on me. You think Peter meant that? I think he meant it with all of his heart. He meant that as sure as he meant anything. And yet, we know the situation he faced, and he denied the Lord three different times. And the Bible said the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. Peter went out and wept bitterly. You know, betrayal. You know, the Bible says all the disciples forsook him and fled that night. It may be that those that we felt the closest to turn on us and maybe become absorbed with the idea to destroy us and our good influence and good name. Uh, our opposing wind, our opposing force may come through persecution uh, as we experience that from our enemies. And there are times when People have enemies without really having done anything to create ill will. Now, Christians in general are always hated because of who they are. 
And in the eyes of the world, in the eyes of the world, if you're a Christian, you're a bigot. You are narrow-minded. You are really unintelligent. And uh, the world would be better off without you. That's how the world views a true Christian, an uncompromising Christian. Uh, and just because you are a Christian, many will oppose you. Now, what did Jesus said about our enemies? He said, love your enemies. How? First of all, you bless them that curse you. You, you, you talk about your enemies in a positive way. Uh, it's by the things that you say. So you bless those that curse you. Secondly, it's your actions. You do good to them that hate you. Those that are ugly and vile towards you, you try to still do good things for them. That's tough, isn't it? It's tough enough to talk good about them and, uh, you know, bless them. It's even tougher to do good things for them. And then the third one, he says, pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. That means when you go to God in your private prayers, you pray for those that have tried to hurt you. That's very hard to do. It goes against human nature, doesn't it? And yet this is how the Lord said for us to love our enemies. And it's very difficult to do. It may be that our opposing wind will come from the lying tongues of gossipers. You know, those that seek to spread discord among the people of God in the congregation or the community. You know, Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 18 says, One sinner destroys much good. And a gossiper can do a lot of harm. And regardless of how much it may hurt, we know that there have been many who've engaged in the practice of opposing the good in the lives of men and women through the sinful practices of gossip. And one of the greatest services I believe that we can render to a person trying to spread gossip is just to tell them to hush. That's the best service we can render. Uh, you know, of course you don't, I've been told don't you shut up around the kids, but that might be appropriate too. I don't know, hush, shut up, means the same thing, right, in the dictionary? So uh, either way, but uh, you know, we just need to put an end to it right there, don't we? Uh, we need to let it be known that uh, the things that hurt so many people don't need to be spread. Also, our opposing force, our opposing wind, may come through financial reversals. You know, we, we think about our economy. Everything is unstable. Uh, the price of groceries is twice as high as it was this time a year ago. Inflation. We live in an uncertain time. Now, we pride ourselves on being self-supportive, right? Self-sufficient. You know, we can retire and live the rest of our lives in peace and in harmony. You know, there's no guarantees in this life, you know, and financial reverses may come. We may lose our job. Uh, we may lose our place, uh, you know, financially that we have today. And there can be no question, but that's a tremendously powerful factor in our lives. And, you know, we've got to guard against possessions becoming like a God. Remember what Jesus said in Luke 12 and verse 15? He says, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of the things that he possesseth. And many times when we face these kinds of financial hardships, it's tough. It's rough. We don't see a way out many times. 
But we just keep trusting in God, right? And I've seen many times where people have been seemingly at rock bottom as far as their finances go. Just maybe suddenly. But they kept the faith and things ultimately turned around and were even better than they were before. So we've got to put our faith and trust in God. Also, think about an accident. Accidents can cause pain and bodily injury, even the loss of health and it can be an opposing force in our lives. You know, many have been struck down in the prime of their lives by accidents. And, you know, many today have very limiting handicaps caused by situations over which they have absolutely no control. And when physical ailments and physical limitations are experienced, uh, it hopefully will cause us to be closer to God. I had some examples and illustrations of that, but I've got seven minutes and I want us to finish this class tonight. Also, and, and this is tough, I've never really, and I'm 58 years old, I've never really experienced the death of a close loved one. I, my grandparents died and that was sad, but you know, I can't say that I understand exactly what it's like to just grieve over the loss of someone close, like a spouse, you know, or a child or something like that. I know that time's coming. I know it will come. And uh, I guess I've been blessed up to that particular point. But the death of a loved one is a very strong opposing force. It can be very limiting to us because of its power. I think about David and his child died. He prayed and prayed and prayed and begged God to save that child. God had told him that, you know, because of that sin with Bathsheba, that child would not live. And of course, when that child died, what did David do? Well, he dressed himself up. He got himself ready and went about his everyday business. And when people ask him, you know, why the change? Why you're no longer really grieving over the loss of that child? And David explained to him, he said, I cannot bring this child back to life. He said, I can go to him, but he cannot come back to me. Now, I don't think that limited the sorrow that David had at all, but he did understand this basic principle, which is true of all of us. None of our loved ones, when they lead this life, can be brought back. But we can live our lives in such a manner so that we can go to them. You know, the Bible talks about those that sorrow who have no hope. And I've preached funerals of people under that classification. They're not Christians. They have no hope. And I've seen grieving that could just be indescribable. Public grieving. It's... It's shocking almost. Now, again, when a faithful Christian dies, I've also seen grieving, intense grieving. But at the same time, I see a recognition in the lives of those who have lost loved ones that this is not the end. This is just the beginning. And there's the resolve in their hearts because they know that, you know, this is not over yet. It's temporary in nature. And it's sad for the moment. And grieving is natural. It needs to take place. But we don't sorrow as those who have no hope. 
Let me close out with these couple of points here. Let me say that each person holds the key within his own hands. You have a choice whether these opposing winds that are encountered in your life are going to be of a benefit or a hindrance. And just like the stormy winds and the waves that cause the anchor of that ship to take a stronger grip in the floor of the ocean, so it is that the struggles that we encounter in our lives can ensure that our faith becomes stronger. You know, that ship, that anchor becomes more tied to the bottom as it's tossed to and fro, and our faith becomes stronger as we're tossed back and forth by the problems of life. And when the attitude's right, contrary winds, opposing forces, can, they can be instructive for us. They can be corrective. They can be sanctifying and can be satisfying to some degree. And we can be assured that regardless of which way the wind may blow, we can set our sails so that it will be to our advantage. The poet uh, Caroline A. Mason uh, wrote this. It's a short poem, and I can assure you uh, when I read it, you'll know that Shakespeare didn't write it. He didn't have enough sense to write something like this. All right. Uh, that whatsoever wind doth blow, my heart is glad to have it so. And blow it east and blow it west, the wind that blows, that wind is best. You know, there ought to be no doubt in our minds concerning the desire that God has that we win the victory. God wants us to win. God wants us to be victorious. And he is for us and not against us. 2 Corinthians 2 verse 14 says, Now thanks be to God who causeth us always to triumph in Christ. Victory. In Christ. Second Peter 3 and verse 9 says, The Lord is not willing that any should perish. He's going to be there for us. And we need to trust Him faithfully. Well, I got about one more minute. If anybody has a remark that you want to make, feel free to make it. You know, I guess I can share this with you quickly since we've got a minute. But the Don Blackwell, many of you know, a faithful gospel preacher, had a, an accident on an ATV several years ago, paralyzed from the neck down. Strong man, you know, great preacher, still is. He's probably a better preacher now than he would have been if he had not had that accident. I don't envy him. I, I, I'm glad I can walk. I can't think of what it would be like for a person in their prime to just be struck down, never to walk again. He's got some good equipment, a, a wheelchair that makes him as tall as anybody else. The brethren have been good to him. He's... Uh, in full-time work. If you know the Gospel Broadcasting Network, you ought to tune into that and hear the power of this man as he preaches and teaches the truth. Do what? He would give every possession he had if he could just walk again. You know, that's something we take for granted. So no doubt, you know, he even admitted that he had a lot of anger and a lot of blame and he dealt with it in, in the way that a normal human would. But he has been victorious over that adversity. And he's stronger as a result. All right. Y'all have a wonderful rest of the night. And uh, 
We'll see you on Sunday, if not sooner.